Before she speaks, I'm going to read uh, Ephesians 4, uh, 1 to 16, which is our passage today. So, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that he says that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Thanks, Adam. Hello. That is a meaty passage, so don't worry if you're struggling to even remember how it started, because there's quite a lot there, but we will unpick it, go through it together, Um, So this is, yeah, the third chapter in the book of Ephesians that we've been looking, fourth chapter, yeah, that's helpful, this is the fourth chapter um, (laughs) in the book of Ephesians that we're looking at today, Um, and it'd be no surprise that the past three weeks we've looked at the first three chapters of the book, which is letters from the missionary Paul to churches in and around Ephesus. And in these letters are some really like foundational ideas of um, the church, how it functions, and what it means to be a Christian, someone who follows Jesus. The first three chapters talk a lot about the sort of mystery of God and who he is, um, the significance of Jesus' life and the story of his life on earth, um, and God's love for us all. And then chapter four, if you like, is a bit of this turning point. Um, Paul's zooming in, he's talking about the reality of our day-to-day lives now, of our lives in light of chapters one to three. So he gets specific. He gets down to the nitty-gritty of the reality we're in. Beyond the passage we're looking at today, he goes on and talks about sex and work and parenting and marriage and truth and lies and kindness and money and basically any topic that you could fit into your day-to-day lives, any sort of factors and big questions that you're thinking about just in everyday ups and downs as you go through life on earth. And some people like to think that this sort of latter part of Ephesians isn't really Paul at his best, that he actually gets a bit overbearing, he's a bit of a fun police, a bit of a killjoy, and he's just got a bit too much of an opinion about every single part of your life. 
Because let's face it, we'd all rather read about how we're loved, how uh, we've been made really worthy by God, how there's this grand plan and we're part of something bigger and better than we can imagine. We'd all rather read that than a chunk of scripture on behavior, on do's and don'ts, on the nitty-gritty of things that are sometimes a bit boring, often quite hard. And it can be easy to skim over this bit, but I want to encourage us all, myself included, not to do that. Um, Every sentence feels significant if we stop and we look and we lean in and we pay close attention. Now, I can promise you one thing and probably one thing only, that in the next 15, 20 minutes, we won't do these 16 verses justice. There is a lot there. So I encourage you, go home, read it again and again and again if you want to, by yourselves, with your mates, with your family. But let this time we have together stir up some thoughts. Let it bring in some new perspectives. Let us begin to unpack what is quite a meaty passage once you zoom in. So if you're struggling to remember how the passage started, it starts with this big grand statement from Paul, a command if you like, although it isn't a command, but this sort of statement that he makes. And it says, lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. What is this calling? Well, this calling upon each and all of our lives is to love God, is to follow Jesus, be in relationship with him, and become more like him the more we learn about him. To be living lives that are motivated by gratitude for what Jesus has done and not living a certain way to earn reward or recognition. Regardless of what our lives look like, that is the calling that we all share. That is something that unites us. And that is something that we can all apply whatever our contexts look like. Now, they may look very different. God may have called some of us to live this certain way through a particular job. He may have called us to become more like Jesus in a particular place. He may have called us to a certain people group to demonstrate what it looks like to learn to follow God and follow his teachings and become more like Jesus to a particular group of people. That might be our family. That might be a group in society. But this purpose, this motivation, this calling, don't get hung up on the language if you find it a bit odd, but this calling is upon all of our lives. So no, Paul isn't asking us to just change behavior. He's asking for a behavior change with an identity change. So the first three chapters have been drawing on this big picture, this big story of Jesus, where we fit into it, where our worth comes from. And it's in light of that that he now goes into more behavioral stuff, more day-to-day stuff. When we accept Jesus into our lives and our identities change and we understand more of who we've been made to be, who we've been made by, we're then called to something different. And because of that, our behavior changes. Later in the uh, book of Ephesians, Paul literally calls us new humans when we come to know Jesus. So it's this identity that changes and this behavior that comes out of that. So let's recap on verses 2 to 6, just after that bold statement. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. 
For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Bear with each other, tolerate each other with this selfless love, pursuing this bond of peace. See, Paul is very clear here that the calling on our lives is not a solo journey. Whilst it's to do with how God sees you as an individual, it's not just about you. It's about us. It's about a family that Paul sees as being bonded together. And that family is the church. A bond of peace. Peace, it sounds idyllic, but actually, it says take every effort. It takes grit. It takes hard work. It's quite funny. I'd never noticed this passage before until a few months back, probably about six months back now, when um, we were doing, me and Adam, we were doing the marriage prep course with Dan and Susie Finn. And we were praying together and this verse popped out and they, um, they sort of prayed it over our lives that we would, through marriage, understand a bit more of what that meant um, and that we would get this image, this bond of peace and this pursuing this bond of peace. And it taught me a lot about marriage, really, that you're sort of, you're putting the other above yourself, but you're not doing it for reward or victory or competition or comparison, but it's for the sake of peace. It's for the sake of unity. Sometimes that's laying yourself down and your needs down and then putting that person first. But Paul puts this image in the context of a church, of a church family, bonded together in peace. That's what he's saying keeps us together, this pursuit for that, for that harmony, not for selfish gain or fame, but for unity and tolerance and working together for each other's sake. Let's carry on with this passage. Let's read 7 to 13. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. That clearly means that Christ also descended into our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. There's a lot there, and if, like me, the first time reading that, all this ascending and descending stuff, it sounds a bit like a riddle, but basically it's Jesus. The Message Bible, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, its way of putting it helps clear it up a little bit. Is it not true that the one who climbed up also climbed down, down to the valley of earth, And the one who climbed down is the one who climbed back up, up to the highest heavens. He handed out gifts above and below, filled heaven with his gifts, filled earth with his gifts. So Jesus, on earth, then resurrected, out of the undeserved favor of God, he shows us and gave us gifts 
to nurture in order to build up the church. Gifts to build up the church. Gifts of equal significance, but gifts that vary so that the church is well-rounded, so that it's robust. Whilst you may not have used the words prophet and apostle this week, (laughs) they can sound a bit obscure, but um, in another version of the Bible, it just helps flesh out those words a bit more just so we get a clearer picture of what Paul is saying. So he says, And his gifts to the church were varied, and he himself appointed some as apostles, special messengers, representatives, some as prophets, who speak a new message from God to the people. Some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation, that is being saved by Jesus, forgiven by Jesus. And some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct. So the point is unity. The point is showing each other more of Jesus. The point is working together to build up the family that is the church that here is G2. And as we learn more, more of who Jesus is, more of what it looks like to live out like him, live out our lives like him, we become spiritually mature. And then we become people who measure up to the full and complete standard of Christ. What a goal. (laughs) What a goal of transforming the family here and the world out there the full and complete standard of Christ, getting fully what it means to be sons and daughters of God and living out that way. See, there's something Paul, I think, is drawing out from the Ephesians. There's something here about activating what it is they know or what it is they believe or living out what it is they've been learning. When I was a student and I was a third-year student, um, I was kind of done with education by that stage and not because... I found it incredibly hard or it just didn't fit me, but because I didn't take a gap year and since the age of four, I'd been learning. And I'd been learning things in a classroom and writing essays and being graded after every year of my life. And I just had this real urge. I just wanted to get out there and do something in the real world, whatever that is. But I wanted to do something with all this knowledge I'd been accumulating, it felt like. But truth be told, I never felt that way with my faith. For a long time. For a long time, my faith was coming to church or going to a Bible study group or reading the Bible in my own time or praying to God in my own time, having a personal relationship with him and accumulating this knowledge of who Jesus was and the story that the Bible was telling. But for a long time, I was happy with that. And I didn't feel convicted that actually my life isn't looking that different because of it. Sure, there's some hours of the day that my friends don't really know what I get up to, but it doesn't impact the way I meet with them, the things I do, the things I tell them, my priorities when I hang out with them. Things didn't look that different from the outside. And it made me question why I did these things, why I believed them, or if I actually believed them, then what was the point if it wasn't making an impact? See, these gifts God gives us the story we learn of Jesus, it isn't just to make us feel good or give us knowledge or correct beliefs. They impact our every day. It's how we act in here. It's how we act out there. Paul is swooping in from this big story 
of the gospel, the story of Jesus. And he's zooming right in on the impact it has on each and every life in this room every day of the week. He's saying, guys, this message is huge. It's for right now. It's for your life. It's for this whole family of people figuring it out. And it changes things. It changes how we act. Now, changes can be incremental. They can be bit by bit. And it's not through entirely our own strength that our lives are suddenly transformed to be exactly like Jesus. We're all learning by doing and trying. And if you're not sure who Jesus is or you're just figuring it out and in terms of your journey with him, you'll feel like you're right at the beginning, there's no hierarchy here of a mature Christian and an immature Christian or someone who's totally got it all and someone who's just figuring it out. There's no hierarchy. It's a family. And there's no striving or tough work all in your own strength that can get you to the standard of Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit, Jesus' presence and strength inside of us can transform the way we look and act so that we are more like him. Building a relationship with Jesus takes effort. But even our hardest efforts can't transform us and our entire lives. We need his power, and it's not just our own. So don't hear judgment, but do hear Paul's challenge. Do hear him pointing out the standard God says our lives are worthy of, the bar God puts for us because he made us for amazing things. He's not saying this to guilt trip us. He's saying this to open our eyes once again, maybe, maybe not for the first time, to the purpose of it all, to the purpose of why we show up on a Sunday, to the purpose of why we read our Bibles, to the purpose of God's love for us and the gifts he gives us. He's calling us to check ourselves. If this knowledge I have about Jesus isn't changing my life, then what is the point of it? And if I believe the story of Jesus, but I don't live out anything he does, then in reality, do I believe it? See, Paul tells us we have all been given gifts to use to build up the family, and he's urging us to get out there and use them. He's urging us to see the worth placed on our lives, to see the part God has carved out for each of us, to get our hands dirty, to muck in, to build up one another, and to not be spectators. Maybe you're a fresher or you're new to G2 and G2 isn't your family yet and whichever church you end up in, isn't it easy to be a spectator? Isn't it easy to observe from the seats? I definitely found it easy at times to show up and walk away on a Sunday and go, well, that wasn't very good. Or this wasn't great today. They definitely need more people to help out with that. Definitely need more people to solve this or that. But the truth is we all have a part to play. And our role is to build up. Paul is clear about that. Our role is not to observe and critique. Our role does not require us to blame or resent. It does not require us to stand idle or ignore need. Paul is clear we all have something to bring. So the last thing I want you to hear today as we unpack this is what rotor are you on and what coffees do you serve on a Sunday or how many G2 meetings have you been to this week? 
is so much more than behavior that Paul is on about here. G2 is not a business saying, make sure you've required your required hour, you've completed your required hours of work this month. We don't check in and check out. It's about perspective. It's about identity. And it goes back to that calling and that motivation, that living in gratitude for what Jesus has done and not living for recognition. It comes down to do you see church as a family, as a body that works together? Do you see it that every body part has a role to play and that if one part is suffering, the body is equipped to support it and the body is impacted? See, if we were a business, you might have a career path and you might have a personal, professional progression and you might go, oh, you know, I'm looking for that promotion. I want to move up there and get to that seat and maybe do this. And... But the fact is we're a family and when we come together, there isn't a hierarchy. I was once told um, this image that really helped clarify it in my head. And it's an image of all coming together, uh, let's say, for Sunday dinner, for a roast dinner. Sorry, vegans. And they were like, well, you don't sit around a table with family and go, oh, look at me. I've just been given the spuds again to peel. Or, oh, one day, one day I will be the turkey carver at the head of the table. You just don't do that. It doesn't matter if in your family there is a millionaire businesswoman or someone who has a zero-hour job contract. They're, that doesn't impact what they look like around the table as a family. Our purpose is to build up each other, build up the whole family. And the body can support one another. That's how it's built. A week ago today, I, um, I too enthusiastically hit the gym and um, I've been paying the consequences ever since and my right shoulder is still not quite right. But it's been quite funny throughout the week to see how I do things a bit differently. How my left shoulder, truth be told, is more sore because it's compensating for that one. But, you know, if I go to pick up something which I can't really lift, I just sort of lean a bit differently and my body adapts and my body supports and my body sacrifices other bits. Like I said, my achy left shoulder is now joining in. But it's built to do that. That's not a conscious effort of mine. I'm not having to think, oh, how do I maintain my center of gravity whilst going to pick up that shoe? It just works that way. Paul's saying this is how God's designed us. When we're working perfectly, we support one another. That's how we're built. If all you can bring is encouragement to your family, bring it. If all you can bring is a conversation to a newcomer who hasn't come with anyone today, bring it. If all you can spare is 15 minutes in your week, 1% of one of your days to pray for G2, to pray for your family, bring it. God is not concerned with the ticking off of the job list or with just shallow behavior. He created us as a group of people to demonstrate godly love and godly family to a world that often lose sight of what even those two things are. The last few verses in this passage are a bit of a warning. They're a warning to, um, they're an encouragement to grow up. They're a warning of um, the dangers of not being spiritually mature or not spiritually maturing. It recognizes the calling on each of our lives and the responsibility on each of our lives to live a certain way and to muck in. And the simplest version of this warning I could find was again in that message paraphrase. 
So it says, no prolonged infancies among us, please. We'll not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are easy marks for imposters. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love, like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. He keeps us in step with each other. His very breath and blood flow through us, nourishing us so that we will grow up healthy in God, robust in love. To know the whole truth and tell it in love. And the truth is, we're all sinners. We all need God's grace. We all need the forgiveness offered to us through Jesus. Paul is telling us to get this big picture and call each other towards the life God's intended. Not out of arrogance or self-righteousness, cruelty or some moral high ground, but because we have a united purpose, because we want the whole body to be healthy. We have a community to build up. We love one another and so we don't want any part to suffer, to fall astray or get lost. When I was reading this bit of, of telling it in love, I kind of had this image of um, someone cheering alongside of a marathon. And you don't stand alongside a marathon going, whoa, you're so lovely, you're so great. You, you give some umph, right? It, it like, if it was out of context, it might seem a bit too sassy. But when it's in that context and you see what they're aiming for and you see the finish line, you're not just giving them a little pat on the back. You're like, shoving them on and chucking water at them. And it's firm, but it's in love because you know what's ahead. We are designed to champion each other, to build each other up, to get out there and walk, better yet run, on the road that God has called us to travel down, towards the life that God has called us to live. And whether that is to teach the Bible whether that is to share the good news of Jesus to those who don't yet know him, whether that is to listen to God and share what you think he is saying to today's generation, or to encourage the church to trailblaze and inspire new ways of learning about God and appreciating the story of Jesus, to be champions, cheering on the church to be the best it can be, pointing out areas of need and those who need caring for, but all to build up what Paul calls the body of Christ. That is the church. And for us, that is G2. See, God loves us unconditionally. Paul has hammered that home by this point, if you read it all in one swoop. He's not after ticking off a to-do list, but he's designed us to work together. Each one of us is valuable. Each one of us is a part of the body. And we're not designed to do this alone. We all have something to bring. So in light of this, I want us to spend a bit of time now. Um, the observant among you may have spotted some little jigsaw pieces around the room. Why don't you just pick them up for a minute? Grab a pen whilst you're at it. They should be alongside them. And I want us to do something together. Um, in a moment, I'll tell you to shuffle chairs, but I'll explain it then. But what I want us to do 
So this jigsaw piece, obviously, it's, it's a reminder, it's a visual reminder for those of you who like something visual and tactile, that you are part of something bigger. You have a part to play, you are designed to fit into something bigger. And together, we're going to pray for each other that what Paul is telling us here would start to sink in, perhaps more so than it has before, perhaps for the first time. So on this slide, if you forget what I'm about to say, you can refer back to it. So we're going to be praying for each other that we would understand more this vision of church as a family. For freshers, that you would find a family whilst you're at uni, that you would find a church, wherever that is. That we would understand how God has called us to live, the challenge that Paul puts forward of calling on our lives. And that, we would, um, that God would help us to understand the gifts he has given us, how he has made us to fit into the body, what part we have to play, what we have to bring. So I want us to get into groups of four, shuffle your chairs around. And as you're praying, um, if something happens to pop into your mind, a picture, a word, a Bible verse that you think would be encouraging for that person, scribble it on their jigsaw piece or write it nicely on their jigsaw piece um, just so they can remember it. And when they go away, they have... Um, something to look at to remind them of it but if you don't then don't worry but we're just going to get into groups as I said of four um, and pray for each other those things that are just on the screen so shuffle your chairs make a noise and let's pray together <laughs> 